we've been talking about the limitations that are imposed or the ways in which we'd have to go forward based on how deeply entrenched capitalism may or may not be in you know the machinery of of daily life but in the political economy of life the social relations that inscribe us but also just in the literal like where is more vulnerable to revolt or to pressures or to disrupting you know the equilibrium for whatever capitalist processes are going on so i think you know when you were speaking about what parts of the world could exert different types of pressure uh, or put different sorts of limits on capitalist production. Do you think that there are certain types of technologies that if alternatives could be envisioned along communist and not capitalist lines, they would um, have similar sorts of uh, possibilities for disrupting capitalist production or development or for getting people to, you know, like, you know, challenge or resist the march of capitalism a little bit more effectively? Or does it just come down ultimately to where it ends up breaking at whatever level it is? No, I think I think that's a fantastic question. I, I wanted to actually go to this topic eventually. So you, you guys are priming me perfectly here. The I think it's important to not only look at, you know, how machines are distributed geographically in like a purely spatial context, but also it's it's probably even more important who has access to these machines and who knows how to operate them. Um, you know, it's so this is where works like uh, Jason Smith's recent book and um, really like the entirety of the EndNotes, you know, journals one through five, um, mostly, I guess, I mean, mostly two, four, and uh, five. Journals like Chuang also are extremely instructive in this. Um, really a lot of the kind of stuff that gets, that's kind of a lot of the ultra left Marxist stuff that and that's hovering around the kind of the communization kind of uh, milieu really delves into this topic of what, what are the groups of people that are most subjected to the different pressures of capitalism and how does that reflect in militancy? And uh, the, I'm, I'm partial to the argument that um, you know, for for better or for worse, uh, we're seeing like a lot of militancy is um, rooted around this kind of notion of surplus population. Um, and again, there's there's other people who are more uh, qualified to speak on this than me, but I think that it's an important concept. When I, when I talked about things like the George Floyd rebellion, and you know, if we look at things like the Arab Spring, and really a lot of like the modern revolts, uh, like I said, they don't really happen at the point of production too much. Uh, they tend to happen in uh, outside the point of production, I, you could argue they're in the sphere of reproduction or, you know, things like that. Um, and, w- and when they do go into the workplace, the, these workplaces often are, again, reproductive things like things like schools, like teachers are teachers were really militant. Teachers and nurses in the U.S. were really militant. Um, but then even things like that are kind of more distribution, like, you know, Amazon warehouses, for instance. And so these people uh, in, in, in some ways, some more than others have different access to like ways to stop, uh, capitalism or to like to, to throw a wrench in its gears. Um, Jasper Burns in EndNotes uh, three has a fantastic essay on, um, logistics and counter logistics. Have you guys read that? I have not. Yeah, I have ages I've ago. I, yeah, I've read some of that work around counter logistics, but it's, it's been a while. It's been a while. So, so, uh, walk us into it. Um, uh, yeah, so Jasper, another person you guys might want to have on this show, but, um, basically, I mean, it's the under, so it's, it's, it's within the whole kind of EndNotes concept of, um, increasing percentage of the population and at least like in North America and Western Europe, that is like surplus population that is, you know, not able to get, I guess, like when, when we say superfluous to the needs of capital, it's not like a Malthusian thing. It's, it's important to note that this means like, 
um, you know, push into types of work that are uh, less and less important to the actual productive process, like the actual manufacturing process, which is like the heart of capital. And so a lot of these people who are surplus population or in surplus positions, um, you know, many of them have jobs, but their jobs in industries that are only kept afloat by like state subsidy or just like barely profitable enough. And they're not like tied to production and they're, they would be not really missed if they just kind of went away in terms of, you know, capitalist productive capacity, but very much missed by the people who work in them. Um, a lot of people, this includes a lot of white collar workers. It also includes a lot of people who are unemployed and, you know, like dealing drugs and stuff. Like it's a wide category. The point is that like, as more and more people uh, end up in uh, surplus population kind of categories, there's, um, there's a lot of ways that people in these groups can block capital um, circulation, but capital at the same time, like because of the logistics revolution that kind of happened after World War II, even though there's more vulnerable points, it's a network that's much more easily adaptable to getting around labor struggle. And Burns argues that like a big part of developing this big logistics network was to get around labor militancy. Because if, you know, if your port's being blockaded, just bring it in through another port and bring it in on trucks over land. Um, you know, those truckers go on strike, um, you know, then move it to a factory domestically or something. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, usually it's the other way around. Usually you move it to a different factory overseas, but that, that's kind of the idea behind this. So what I'm getting at with all this is, so people like EndNotes argue that uh, surplus population tends to display the more militancy as compared to people who are directly like working at the point of production in recent years for better or for worse. I agree that that's not particularly a good thing, but it is what it is. I mean, you know, again, the real movement of history. And uh, what do these, you know, do these people have access to the means of production? Um, usually not really. And so, but the people who do have access, people like uh, machine operators, technicians, engineers, um, are they revolting? Are they not? Um, and in some countries, they do revolt a lot more than in the West. I mean, so the whole point of the Chuang Journal, um, which I don't know if you guys have read it, but I, I strongly recommend it. Yeah. I mean, their, their whole, their, their focus on China is, is like, they, as much as I love the kind of broad ultra left scene, I feel like Chuang is one of the few um, groups in that milieu that kind of remembers that communism is only possible because of the productive capacity created by capitalism. Or did I say that right? Yeah, communism is the only is only possible because capitalism has has made it so technologically, and you need that technical capacity. It's not you, you can't found communism on a bunch of riots. Like you need machines, and a, a lot of those machines right now are based in China. However, um, as they note in their big economic history of China, and they're they're hinting at in a lot of their recent economic analysis of the Chinese economy, you know, a lot of the, you know, there, the Chinese profit rate is declining. Uh, it's, it's the same tendency that you see all over the planet. Cause you know, tend to, the capital is a global tendency to, uh, to secularly stagnate. A lot of those jobs are moving to places like, uh, like Southeast Asia and parts of East Africa, but it's, it's not like it's a one-to-one -one thing. I mean, you know, not every job that was lost in the U S and offshore to China, you know, made an entire new job in China. It was, uh, you know, in some ways, fewer people, I mean, that were, you know, replaced because uh, you have all these machines to, to replace them with then the same thing is happening. It's not like all these jobs that are industrial jobs that are leaving China and then, you know, making Chinese Chinese um, workforces more percentagely, is that even a word? Uh, the Chinese workforce is becoming more and more, as I understand it, um, uh, like service-based, kind of the same thing that's happening in the U.S. And so mm -hmm. but then it's not like there's like a shit ton of factories now in Vietnam that are like... It's not like Vietnam and Tanzania and Malaysia are the new China. They're just not. Where are the levers? Who has their hands on them? Are they getting militant? Are they not? Um, if they're getting militant, what are they connecting with other militants, you know, people? 
are they not? Um, I mean, this is, there's, there's whole modern bodies of work on this kind of question and mm-hmm. it doesn't have an easy answer. And it's, I think it's a little easy to get pessimistic because sometimes the answer is like, no, a lot of this, these struggles are outside of the point of production. But on the other hand, that was kind of the, uh, you could argue that past revolts kind of were a bit too workerist and a bit too, um, too focused on kind of the hegemony of the, of the factory worker in a way, in terms of like their iconography. So I don't know. It's a tough question. Um, it's, it's easy to get pessimistic about it, but I think it's an important thing to grapple with for communists. Yeah. I mean, I think you've hit on a, a lot here that we can dig into even more and, and, and you're right. I mean, to bring up that question of like, where, like where is militancy happening um, and and the need for militancy at these points of production, you know, to, to go back to the kind of impetus for, for this episode and the discussion is also that question of, you know, using automation as a case study, but also just talking more broadly about like the, what, you know, Marx would call the forces of production, right? The, these kind of, you know, not only the, the mode of production in terms of like how is production organized, but the means or forces of production in terms of like, you know, what are the technologies and the structures and organizations of how production is done? done.